You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 197, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. Dan Molad of Coco joins me for this edition of Look at My Records. If you're not familiar yet with Coco, get acquainted as they just dropped one of my favorite records of the year in their self-titled debut. The project originally formed somewhat casually in 2019 when Molad met for some brief songwriting sessions with friends Maya Friedman and Oliver Hill. These sessions, though short, proved to be quite fruitful as the trio emerged with their first two songs. Over the course of the next year and a half, the band met sporadically to write and record, releasing a string of tracks anonymously before revealing their identities this past summer in conjunction with their fourth single, Knots. Their efforts culminated with the release of their magnificent 10-song debut, last week. During our interview, Dan and I chatted about how the trio was inspired by their friend Bob Moses to initially release their music anonymously, how they developed their democratized organic songwriting process, what you can expect from their upcoming live shows on November 12th at Zebulon in Los Angeles and on November 16th at Union Pool here in Brooklyn and much more. Plus, Dan picked some awesome records from Brittany Howard, Panda Bear, and Sunny and the Sunsets. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right, you're listening to Look at My Records. Super, super excited to have Dan here from Coco. Really unique, interesting project. They have a very cool backstory, and they just released their debut self-titled record. It's excellent. Really, really good stuff, Dan. So I'm very, very excited to have you on the podcast today to chat all about it. How are you? I'm great. Um, you know, it's a nice and uh, gloomy Halloween morning here in Los Angeles. Perfect uh very uh, apropos. Yeah, happy Halloween. It's interesting. <laughs> I feel like as I'm older now, Halloween, like I do go out and like I went to a show last night, saw some great cover bands and did some sort of Halloween stuff. But Halloween day, a little more chill usually mm. now that I'm an older dude. Yeah, I hear that. I've, I've, I feel like, well, last Halloween maybe is kind of doesn't count. I feel like we were all in a, yeah in, in our, you know, COVID isolations. But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely been a quiet holiday for me for quite a few years now. I, I, and I, you know, I, I'm always like a day of get the costume. And um, I've had some years where I was a little bit more, uh, you know, prepared. But this today is going to be uh, 
just setting up my studio, which I just moved into a couple months ago. So that's my Halloween. Nice and spooky studio setup. Is it a home studio? Yeah, I, it's sort of like a glorified home studio. I mean, it's a it's a space that I've like acoustically treated, and and I I've you know accumulated a bunch of gear over the years. I've always um, kind of um, oscillated between being in a handful of bands and producing other artists, and I always kind of act as like the de facto uh, producer or MD of whatever band I end up playing with usually cool very cool so did you assume that role with coco at all for this record that you just put out i mean i definitely leaned into those uh that skill set it's always there with me i think that oliver has is also a you know a producer in his own right and i could argue that maya is as well uh, you know the only difference is that oliver and i both have experience producing other people's records and Oliver is also, you know, he's pretty uh, Pro Tools proficient. And Maya is actually really great at like comping her own vocals. And this record, I think more than any other record I've been a part of, was like just really democratic and really like egos were just like completely left aside and everyone just followed their instincts and trusted we all trusted each other and you know even though i was engineering and i mixed the record um production it was like very egoless and just like what do we all think and we and we discussed every choice and um it was really refreshing in that sense yeah that's very cool and i'm really intrigued by how the three of you have described the process as you've slowly released a string of singles over the last year and a half and now with this full-length record but before we get into that you oliver and maya how'd you three get to know each other before you started coco were you prior collaborators in any capacity uh absolutely yeah um maya i met probably around the same time, not not too far off from when I met Oliver in around 2011, uh, Maya was working at a coffee shop literally like a block away from where I was living in Brooklyn in Ditmas Park. And we just started chatting and uh, eventually like, you know, discovered there were some mutual friends and, and she was playing with this group called Bobby, who I really liked a lot. And then eventually you know, years of friendship went by and she started a group called Uni Ika I with um, Pete, Peter, who, Laylish, who also plays with me and Lucius, and another friend of mine, Tom Dice, who was in a band via audio that I used to be in. And so there were all these, like, you know, kind of crossovers and uh, sort of incestuous band dynamics. But we... Uh, finally got to work on a record together that ended up being Maya's own record that, well, I don't know like how much I'm supposed to, I, I think she's kind of like keeping on the DL, but she's yeah. about to release some music on her own. Exciting. Yeah. And we worked on that record, you know, over the last four or five years together. And I've had her 
um, play with me when I perform as Chimney. She's she's been like a supporting cast member in that ensemble. And Oliver used to be in a band called Pavo Pavo, or ha- have a band that he led called Pavo Pavo. And I produced both of their records that they released. Um, so yeah, but we we've we've worked together a bunch, and Oliver has produced uh, a couple things where he would ask me to drum on them. So yeah, it's it's a lot of like give and take with both of both my and Oliver. So it, it felt really natural to just you know kind of all collaborate the three of us together. That's great. Yeah, I loved the last Pavo Pavo album, Mystery Hour. Really, really oh. good. Really awesome record. Really, yeah, enjoyed it's that a great one. record. I love that record, and um, and it was a, a quite a, a trip to make because you know it was um, I was living in L.A., but I think I traveled to Brooklyn to track it, and then we were sort of mixing it back and forth in L.A. and Brooklyn, and it was kind of like the tail tail end. It's you know one of those things where it kind of feels like the final shot of trying to make a band happen. It's like it's going to be this record, or we're going to sort of move our separate ways, yeah. which can feel like a bit of pressure as a producer. But I think that like, ultimately, you know, Oliver is such a Swiss army knife in, in the studio that like, whether or not he's working on his own music or other people's, he'll always have, he'll always be making music and working on other people's music. I mean, he's just such a, such a talented dude. Totally. You're all involved with some seriously great projects before coming together uh, with Coco. And so when I first learned about Coco and started diving into the singles that you had released, it seemed like it was something that came together after the pandemic had already started. But in actuality, the three of you started collaborating in 2019 and actually released your first single in January of 2020. So with that, I was curious about what the original outlook or plan for this project was prior to the pandemic. And then how did it change after that? Sure. Um, Well, basically, uh, there was like a day in the spring of 2019, I want to say, where Maya and I both kind of just had like a free day. And I was in my old studio in LA, uh, in Silver Lake. And I just asked her to come by and listen to some music that I had been working on. And I had been working on the, the chimney record, this LP two, which is yet to be released. And it's, you know, one of those kind of things um, when you're, you know, a producer making your own music, you can kind of be your own worst enemy because you just want it to be as good as all the other people's music you get yeah. to work on. And so I've been sitting on this record for quite a long time now, but I had this one instrumental track that I was like, oh, I think I'll put this somewhere like in the middle of the record as sort of like an interlude to get from like side A to side B or something like that. And I played it for Maya. And I think just like in that moment, I thought, Hey, like, do you hear anything, you know, like any vocal kind of things? And, and she started singing some words and I'm not exactly sure how it all 
kind of coalesced from there. But basically, we just uh, sometime a few hours later, we're sitting with our notebooks, just kind of writing lyrics and coming up with uh, alternate melodies. And I think uh, near the end of the day, we were like, oh, we've got two verses and a chorus and um, maybe all we need is a bridge. And Oliver was a neighbor. Uh, and I was like, what if we saw if Oliver would come by? And I was like, yeah. And called Oliver and, you know, on a whim, he came by maybe an hour later and he came up with the bridge for what was to become Empty Beach. And so we finished that one and it we were so stoked on it that Maya and I did two more songs and one of those was the song One Time Villain, kind of same deal, like where we got like through verses and choruses and um, didn't feel like it needed another section, but Oliver came in and added a harmony and played a 12-string guitar and and was just sort of helping, you know, wrap it up in a bow and we're like wow that was great and then these tunes just sort of sat on a hard drive or iCloud you know for several months Um, and fast forward a few months later Maya had gotten together with her good friend this guy Bob Moses who uh, has been a friend of hers for a long time and he uh, and they were like on a car ride to upstate New York and he asked her like you know what are you working on and she played him some of the music that we had actually made for what was Unique Eye to become Maya's solo project and um, he's like cool 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 I love this stuff this is great what what else and she's like well I do have these two songs that I made with Oliver and Danny like sure I can play those for you and apparently Bob heard the songs and was like, wait, play them again. I want to hear them again and listen to them a whole second round through and was like, you need to do something with this music. Like this is something special is going on here. Yeah. And I think from there, Bob asked Maya if he, if she minded, if he share it with a few, you know, music associates. And she said, sure. And, Bob was sending it to some friends he had without saying who it was, just being like, hey, listen to this and check it out and see what you think. And basically, unanimously, he was getting these responses of like, what is this? Tell me the story. I want to know more. And so Bob was like, oh, I think maybe since there's so much intrigue and I'm not even telling people who this is, maybe it'd be cool to try to release this anonymously, you know, both taking the pressure off of us as the creators and, you know, maybe creating a little bit of this interesting uh, mystery around these really great songs. And it totally, you know, it created this little buzz um, and, and it, and it got people and it perked people's interest and people started wanting to know who it was and playing guessing games and, uh, it really worked to our benefit, and Bob sort of then kind of started to act as like the de facto manager, um, and um, we released those two songs anonymously, and Bob encouraged us to make more music, and so then I had some friends in Nashville who had a studio that they would let us record at for next to nothing, 
And so we traveled to Nashville in February of 2019. Okay, so actually now that I'm thinking about this, because I think we released the song. I'm trying to remember when. The Empty Beach, January of 2020, I believe. Right, okay. So so then, yes, so in February of 2019, we got together in Nashville and... Oh, no, no, no. I'm, 2020, man, my, right? February 2020. 2020. God, I'm sorry. <laughs> All good, dude. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, Times so a blur these days, man. Yes. <laughs> and and we were in Nashville and uh, made... We, we got together and when we got together, we had no... Uh, you know, we, we came in there like a, as a blank slate without anything prepared and decided we would try to see what would happen if, you know we just threw caution to the wind and like everything we did was collaborative because we felt like that was the impetus of those two songs. Um, and it really worked out. We walked away from that session with six more songs recorded and fully produced and, um, and written all within like the span of a week and a half and left Nashville, uh, at the end of February. Um, as soon as we left, like, maybe like three or four days later, the tornado that swept through East Na- oh, Nashville yeah. and destroyed about that. the yeah. entire uh, East Nashville, like yeah. literally like days after we left, uh, Bob found out that he had stage four stomach cancer yeah. and, uh, and then the pandemic. And it was just this crazy coalesce of all these really intense things. And, simultaneously like I was going through a divorce and um, Maya had gone through a breakup and then Oliver was going through a breakup. There was just like a lot of trauma and an intensity and a just emotional turmoil. Um, and, uh, but like through it all, we were really excited about what we had created. And Bob again was like encouraging us to do more sessions and like, even though he was, you know, super sick, he was just so positive and so pumped and never complained about anything. And like up until he passed in December of 2020, he was working the record and pushing it and sending it to people. Um, and yeah, it was just like this very bittersweet experience because we had like the love and support from someone that felt like so completely genuine and selfless like there was no motivation for him to do this outside of just belief in the music i mean like what are you working toward if you know that like your end of days is like on the horizon you know it, it was like just the most humbling beautiful bittersweet experience yeah i'm so sorry to hear about bob and his passing and in just reading about coco it seems like he was such a driving force and, as you mentioned, supporter and really kind of the inspiration behind the ethos of this project, too. So mm-hmm. when you finally were able 100%. to put put out this record, it must have been a really you know emotional moment for the three of you, especially since, you know, he passed away almost a year ago. But to follow through with it completely, it's such a nice homage to him as well and a testament to his belief in the three of you. Yeah. I mean, 
uh, I it, it, it you're you ha it hit it right on the head the pin right on the head with that idea of like it's totally in line with you know how this whole thing came together it was just following intuition following guttural feelings and not like I mean the the idea of like anonymity and then it eventually kind of adding fuel to the fire was sort of a, a happy accident you know I don't think we were it, it wasn't like we were trying to like walk away with some kind of gimmick in mind it was just yeah. like Maya has dirty projector she has her own music Oliver has dust writer all of his sideman gigs and string arranging and I produce and play Lucius and it's just like there's a lot of responsibility we have to all these other projects it was like oh it would just be easier if we didn't have to you know like give this our full attention yet still let it like you know see the light of day and and yeah having Bob there and and supporting it and and you know kind of I, I felt I felt like we owed it to him, you know, to to push this thing through, you know, and it, and it feels like I, I don't know that there's anything else in my life that has had that sort of impact where like you're like, wow, this person is like is in this, you know, this vessel, you know, like Bob's spirit is part of this thing and like it's forever wrapped up in it and it's like yeah i mean it's, it's kind of like hard to fully process i i don't even know that i like have the capacity at this moment to like fully let that sink in it's it's just so heavy and it's yeah it's beautiful because this is how loved ones people that we love live on through after their passing through mm -hmm. these pieces of art and what they inspired and what they meant to you which then translates into the music yeah, I was just going to say one little anecdote um, just to like add to how wonderful Bob was. I think like the last text exchange I had with Bob was him basically promising me that he was going to send me his 68 Fender Vibralux. Wow. Like I, me being like, hey, Bob, how's it going? You know, like wishing you the best and 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 just like checking on you he's like hey man it's good to hear from you i was just thinking about you because i still got to send you this amp and i'm like dude don't even <laughs> don't worry i about mean it, you yeah. know like um, that's not where my head's at but you know i suppose it's like a it's maybe a, a healthy way to to leave this earth is to kind of just be thinking about other people and not being so inside your own head yeah he sounds like a very wonderful person Mm -hmm. So you mentioned your creative process and you it's been written about as well, this kind of way the three of you were striving to be as organic as possible. Once the pandemic started, you would meet up, I guess, about once a month, but you kind of made this loose commitment not to really prepare for those sessions so that you could just sit down and let whatever happened happened was that hard for you or maya or oliver at first maybe given how you approached prior projects and things like that because i i could see it being kind of challenging but then once you got used to it maybe it becoming easier was that a challenging 
process to kind of accept? Um, well, it's, you know, I mean, anytime you sort of like walk into a creative space and there's, you're just coming in with a blank canvas, it can be daunting. Yeah. Cause it's just like, well, if we walk away from here with nothing is like, is this time wasted? You know, cause this is like, you know, for Nashville, it's like we've paid to fly to Nashville and be in this space and get groceries and, you know, work out all the logistics to make this whole thing happen. It's like, what if we can't perform? Yeah. And same thing when when they came to Spicewood. But I don't know. We just we had trust and faith in one another. And I think the fact that all three of us are songwriters, you know, like that we write on our own and that like, um, you know, if if one person doesn't have an idea, there's there's two others to to kind of bring something and, and, and it's, you know, it's a very much like a cascading experience of creativity. Cause if someone, you know, you might walk into the room and be like, I, I, I've got nothing. But then as soon as someone starts something, you can start riffing on it and maybe like all you're adding to that particular moment is a, is, you know, a baseline idea or like a, an instrumental melody, um, which feels like, somewhat inconsequential to the actual like essence of the song but that sort of time off and that moment of living in a different headspace it can you know help for clarity for the next one and I mean I don't know that I was ever nervous outside of like maybe leading up to the experience it's like once we're actually in the room together it's like oh it's gonna be okay yeah um, I mean, even uh, tomorrow, uh, Maya is uh, getting to L.A. Uh, to begin rehearsing for our first ever show. And, you know, outside of being in the studio together, we haven't like really ever played these songs like as an ensemble, um, you know, and, and kind of when you're in the studio, like you don't set this stuff to memory because, you know, it's being recorded and you're like oh the computer is my my memory like I don't have to like keep these things and maybe there's a little bit of that sort of riding a bicycle like once you get the songs in your hands like oh I remember how this goes but but yeah I I mean I've been like pleasantly surprised with how easy and natural it's been um we've actually since those two sessions to make our lp1 we just had a, a third session in May um, to to begin working on LP two and the same thing. We it just it's just worked out. Like we we walked away with I think four maybe five songs. Um, it's just uh, yeah I don't know. It, it's just there's something to be said about like the three of us were super simpatico and um, and everybody's got you know whether it's like a fresh idea or a a voice memo excerpt that turns into something there's there's plenty of there's plenty of ideas to go around yeah totally one of my favorite songs on the record is knots and that deviated a little bit from your typical uh, writing process tell us a little bit about how that track came together sure um so yeah i've been since being in la the last five years and doing music production like there's a lot of 
times where I'll get called to have like a quote unquote writing session with an artist as like a, um, you know, testing the waters to see how, um, uh, you know, if there's any chemistry between me and the artist. And oftentimes that means that like the artist will kind of want some kind of uh, backing track for them to top line over. And so I built a portion of this uh, track on, I, I mean, I built the whole track bed on my own um, without really an idea of what the melody would be like. I mean, I had like some things I had been humming in my head, but it, it was from one of those sessions I had had, and then it just sort of sat on a hard drive for a couple months and I sent it to Maya without any of the melody references. I'm just like, here's yeah. the backing track. Like, what do you think? And she like next day had lyrics and a melody to the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Another song that really stood out to me on the record was one time villain. So it comes at right in the middle of the album. And I feel like it was paced a little differently than the rest of the record. And because of that, I really enjoyed its placement at oh, the cool. middle of the record. So I was wondering, tell us a little bit about the process behind making that song and whether that was a conscious decision to kind of place it right there in the middle of the record. Um, there, the, I mean, every every choice in terms of like uh, the sequence was very deliberate. Yeah. Um, you know, and we, we all had um, a variety of sequences we'd been throwing around but i think we all agreed that one time villain lived somewhere in the middle yeah it, it sort of to me um it, it 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 kind of feels like a like the mr hyde to coco being like you know most of the time like a dr jekyll um yeah, you know, yeah it, certain, totally there's a certain kind of like attitude or or, or toughness or um that kind of comes through with with the lyric and the story behind it and um yeah i really i, I love that song and in the way that that one was made is i i had created a an iphone demo of me singing some words and i think the one lyric that i i had that was kept was I was having lunch with you. And I think then Maya, and I think I, and then maybe I had like a different age. Like I said, I was having lunch with you. Da, 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 and I was 22. Like, I think that was like the one rhyme that sort of kind of spun it into the inspiration for the rest of the song. And then Maya kind of had the idea to like, you know, then you're 24 and, and then just this kind of, uh, creating this like world of of you know kind of this make-believe situation of like being in a um diner and having this experience um but uh in terms of instrumentation you know i mean it, it it's it, it it just you know i i i really like sort of um I guess it felt a little bit like a like a fey version of like the Stooges or something to me. Yeah, you know, 
I was wanting to do something that was like a little bit more punky. Yeah. And and straight ahead with like a bit of psychedelia and um yeah, there's there's some fun stuff also with like there are these like synth solos that happen in the in the kind of interlude. And I remember that like we each took passes. It, it's one of these I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's like a a ribbon synth where you like hold a little uh, wand against the ribbon and it changes the pitch almost like a theremin where it's where there's no um, um, finite uh, like you have to find the pitch like within like a fr- like it's a fretless instrument almost except it's a synth and we each took solos and it was like oh who's whose solo is going to be the one or should we like you know compile each of them and pick all our favorite bits and then i said why don't we just like throw all of them together and uh that's kind of what ended up being that little interlude it's like a moment of maya solo and then a moment of oliver solo and a moment of um mine and again like you know these aren't like things we like i didn't do that to like intentionally create some sort of soloing democracy it's just kind of what felt natural to the music it's just it's just kind of amazing how much of that like through line is is a part of this whole record. Yeah, it's so cool that chemistry and the democratized songwriting process that just seems to occur naturally, like you said, it doesn't seem like there really needs to be a back and forth for that where you're really like hashing it out hard. It seems to just naturally happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm I, I I hope it continues, you know. I mean, it's like you know, I've been making records for for what feels like forever and um you know, it's it's like I I just I just want to keep doing this as long as possible. And um and I think, you know, it it feels it feels like there's a good chance we'll we'll be doing this for a while. Excellent. Uh, that makes me very happy. <laughs> And I'm sure it makes another a lot of other people happy too. Really enjoy this record. Thank you. Question for you about: Do you have a favorite song on this record, or a song that you either loved the backstory of in particular, or the process of making in particular? Yeah, um, I actually had um, just answered this this exact question. Well, I didn't even. I wasn't that I was asked. I think I just stated this in an, in, a, in a separate interview. But um, I think anybody's guess, the final track is my favorite. Great song. Um, it felt like the culmination of of everybody's strengths kind of like operating like at the highest tier. Um, I had had these, you know, chords and this sort of n- melody, but without concrete lyrics that I was humming um, which is often how I like bring my material to the table is I'll just be kind of sounding like I'm drunk and not like really saying any words like, <laughs> and then my and Oliver will be like, what is it you said? Did you say like something about, um, you know, walking down the street or whatever it is? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, you tell me, but, um, I had had these chords in the song and then we, I believe like we'd woken up in the 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 after a session the night before and we were in Nashville and we came downstairs to have breakfast and Oliver's like I've got some lyrics for this song 
And uh, part of that, I remember I had uh, I had gone on a, a Tinder date the night before. <laughs> and so Oliver had this like kind of inspiration of like this idea of like a kind of a beautiful one night stand, you know, like not, you know, the sort of the stereotype of a one night stand is like an eye roll or like, oh, like, oh, I shouldn't yeah. have done that or but sort of romanticizing it a little bit and um, and kind of riffing off of that. And uh, and I just love how Oliver like played into like sarcasm and there's just some really clever moments. And then the bridge, when Maya sings the bridge to me, it really feels like that that melody just reminds me of like Maya's essence. It just really, she almost sounds like a, like a forest fairy or something. Um, yeah. And, and then, yeah. And, and then in terms of like, you know, groove and I mean, I'm, I'm always just a sucker for the slow and steady kind of head, head bob. And, um, and I just really get this like visual, uh, feeling when I hear the song. Also, um, my partner, Stella, um, she, when we were like trying to decide what to do like oh it's like oh we we want to make a music video but i'm not sure like if we have a huge budget and stella was like let me do it and i was like okay absolutely and and she just like totally you know surprised me like first time video director and she edited the video and we lived together obviously and 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 i was here as she was editing the video day in and day out and and i just remember being like i'm hearing this song over and over and over again you know for the past week and i'm not like like annoyed by it you know <laughs> like it's 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 it was like a pleasant earworm like there was no part of me yeah i mean maybe like the the process of editing was tumultuous in terms of dealing with you know uh, just the workload I, that, that was there for Stella, but both her and I kind of agreed. It's like, you know, I'm not like for as much as we've heard the song and as much as we worked on this video, it, it, I'm not sick of it, which is, I feel like a great sign. And, and it just, I love that it kind of like fades off into the distance and you have the doot doots going along. It really feels like this sort of whistle while you work. And, and I, and it, and it, and it feels like it to be continued, which which I really like. Awesome. Yeah. Amazing song. A really, really great track. Thank you. So you alluded to this a little earlier that you're in the process of preparing for your first live performances as Coco, which is really exciting. And I can imagine the way that this project started in 2019, kind of just casually. Maybe you didn't foresee playing these songs live ever uh when did that change and how do you see these songs uh, translating into the the live setting well um much like our uh ethos going into recording um there's very little preparation that we've done in terms of yeah. um getting together the only thing we've we've sort of mapped out uh that we're gonna do half of the show as a trio and then the other half uh with some added people on stage three other people um 
to just cu- so kind of like a like a stripped down more intimate softer set and then a more expansive right yeah know. yeah cool Very i mean cool. i think that oliver and i are both you know we're both kind of the types of people that really like to hear the the record kind of come to life and so you know there's definitely a few of these songs that are more than three elements in them and so yeah uh, it was just sort of deciding which ones we wanted to see like fully realized in that sense and which ones we felt like we could pare down and it still, um, you know, that it still has all the gusto that the recording does. Cool. So do you have any scheduled dates? Are you heading on tour? Is it kind of just going to be a few shows at first? We, and then we only have two shows year? scheduled right now. It's a la show and a new york show um unfortunately both uh maya is going to be busy with um doing releasing her own record which is going to kind of i think take precedent for the majority of next year and then uh lucius is also on the precipice of releasing a new record that's right yes and uh, and and we're going to be pretty busy with that next year as well. So we've sort of decided that um, um, we're just going to focus on trying to finish a second record so that it doesn't, you know, kind of just fall by the wayside and that there's still something that we can give attention to this and that the, you know, the flame stays burning. Um, Cause I'd very much hate to see this thing dissipate. It's, it's like something that brings us all a lot of joy and, and that's, you know, why we all started doing this in the first place. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, there, there actually, we've already had a couple offers to go on the road with some people opening, which was like a huge, um, like, wow, you know, not, not yeah. expecting that. And so hopefully we'll, we'll get some more offers like that and maybe they will be in windows when we can take those opportunities, um. I think we all definitely want to tour this music. It's we're just, you know, we've all been doing this a long time and I think we just want to do it responsibly and not like go into debt trying to make this thing work. Yeah. And that's definitely the right approach. And everyone, those two upcoming dates are November 12th in Los Angeles at Zebulon and here in New York city, November 16th at the great union pool very excited for that new york show it should be great yeah me too can't wait all right so now we're gonna play three songs from coco's brand new self-titled album we're gonna play some songs that we just talked about knots hard to say hello and one time villain Lifting up your dress 
All right, everyone, we just heard three tracks from Coco's brand new awesome album. We heard Knots, followed by Hard to Say Hello, and then we heard One Time Villain. Everyone, you could check out Coco's record on your streaming platform of choice. You could also check out their website, cocosongs.com. And this album is also available on Bandcamp at cocowithlove.bandcamp.com. All right, so now Dan picked some records for my collection. We're going to talk about them. So, Dan, tell us what's up first. Okay, um, first song is sort of a song that I actually helped produce and mix uh, I just, you know, was looking through your collection and I just landed on it. And so I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, I was just really stoked to see it. And he, he's Luke, Luke Temple is one of my favorite songwriters in the world, living songwriters. And um, and I was given the opportunity to work on this record that um, he mostly produced on a Tascam four track. Um, and we got to work on this together, I think, around 2000. Eight, but maybe he didn't release it until 2011. I can't remember the exact details, but anyway, it's Here We Go Magic, and the track is More Than Muscle. Cool. What do you remember about working on that record? Um, well, I remember that I was living in an attic in Ditmas Park, and cool. uh, at the time, I had uh, only... A, a like a, a Pro Tools M box, which is like a, a two channel interface, like a very kind of low quality two channel interface. And that Luke was coming over every day for about a week and we would work on the music for a few hours. Then we would walk down the street to Cinco de Mayo on Cortel you have and we'd have nice. Um, <laughs> we'd have enchilada, green enchiladas, chicken enchiladas Delicious. almost every day. And then come back to the studio. And then I remember at the end of the session, like one of the last days, he found this um, drawing on the street of a very creepy looking baby. And he brought it to the house. He's like, here, I found this on the street. It's for you. And I still have <laughs> this really creepy drawing of a baby that Luke get, gifted me. Those street art finds are always amazing. Yes. And it's always cool to think about who originally had that creepy baby drawing and why did they have it? Totally. Why? That's cool. <laughs> All right. That's a great, great pick. Great record. What'd you pick next? Um, the next track I picked is 13th Century Metal by Brittany Howard off of her. Great, great album. Great, uh, the first, her first solo record. Is yes. Just so, so incredible. And it's so cool because with a record like that, I'm sure it has to be daunting when you're the front person of such a 
successful and well-known band to like step out on your own and do your own solo record and then to really knock it out of the park totally just a testament to how great she is totally yeah i i i love that song i i i i think you know i heard the whole record and and it's it's you know it's kind of you know it, it, it there's definitely uh similarities to what she was doing with the shakes and and then that track came on 13th century metal and then i was like okay now here's a real departure and a real like artistic statement i mean that that track is just like there's just so much going on and so much to digest between what she's saying that i'm assuming is on some level improvised along with just this crazy sonic palette of synths and mellotron and drum kits doing all kind of crazy weird stuff it's it's a really a really wild ride that song awesome record and awesome What's up next? Um, the next track I picked was Generation Y by Wiseblood. Good one for sure. Yeah. Sh- Tell me a little bit about why you picked that one. Um, I just remember the first time I heard that song and the fact that um, uh, she, through a vocoder, sings Y-O-L-A or y- Yola, you know? <laughs> yes 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 totally. um I, I i think that that was just like so cute and clever and funny and i just love when people i mean i think it's a very fine line and a very like tough thing to do to insert humor into music you know there's only like a handful of people who do it tastefully in my opinion you know um like i, I it's it just can come across as as insincere or cheesy or just trying too hard and it's i just think that track is genuinely like beautiful and funny and also i'm a huge chris cohen fan who i believe produced the record oh yeah he's incredible yeah. wow massive fan of yeah Spend all my seconds like After Wise Blood, what else did you pick? Um, I picked the song You Can Count On Me by Panda Bear. Great, great song. That's off of uh, his 2011 album, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a great album. Yeah, yeah that track um, in particular, um, I heard that track and it, it sort of inspired me to make my own solo record it was kind of like i heard that and i was like i this is like something i want to do like knowing you know how great animal collective is obviously um and then hearing you know the sort of how it's tied to that but also its own unique thing and i i just love the way that he you know combines 
these sort of almost like Beach Boys-esque melodies yeah. and sensibilities with like futuristic, you know, kind of neo-postmodern mess. You know, it's just really, it's it's really one of a kind. It's so funny, the Beach Boy, Brian influence, the Brian Wilson influence on Panda Bear, Animal Collective, bands like that, projects like that. I remember reading an interview one time when Brian Wilson was asked about that. He's like, do you know all these current bands that really cite you as a big influence and stuff? And he's like, I don't know anything about that. I just love oldies like Frank Sinatra <laughs> and stuff like that. that he's so funny. That sounds, He's hilarious. That sounds about right. It's kind of like on par with his saying his favorite movie was Norbert or whatever, oh. starring Eddie Murphy. I don't know if you saw that interview, no. too. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was asked if if he saw any good movies recently. I guess this is like in the mid-2000s. He's like, yeah, I just saw Norbert starring <laughs> Eddie Murphy. And then they're like, and then he's like, but then the follow-up question was like, what's your favorite movie? And he said Norbert <laughs> by Eddie Murphy. <laughs> That's hilarious. Sorry, Eddie Murphy. That's hilarious. A lot of good Brian Wilson interview moments. We just shared two with Oh you. wow. So. I gotta I gotta hear or watch that. Yeah. Um, any, if you pick anything else? I did. What's I, up I, picked, next? I picked three more songs, or two, two, two awesome. Two more Let's songs. Sorry. Excellent. Um, the first of the two I picked is uh, "Waltz Number One" by Elliot Smith off of XO. Um, that song, uh, I remember. This is sort of like a music nerd thing, but I remember hearing that song start and it's sort of this vamp that sits on this one chord for a second and and it's just like kind of you know undulating and like quiet and a little bit spooky and then all of a sudden he sings his first melody note which is a sharp four it's it's or sharp 11 depending on how you you know think about it and it's a very like striking first note. And I was like, whoa. And being, you know, in, in high school, I think at the time when I heard it, um, I, I was just like, wow, that's what is that? You know, I, I, it's it's the kind of thing where if, you, you know, if you kind of have a, a musical sensibility, you can identify that there's something kind of strange about it, you know. And uh, and so then I immediately was like, I got to learn about like what this note is and how this like this type of scale, which is Lydian, like how that sort of plays into um, music. And, and it was a really like eye-opening musical moment for me hearing that song. Yeah, it's always cool from the perspective of me, someone that doesn't play music and doesn't know anything technically about music and just processes it, you know, sonically mm -hmm. and based on what I hear. And you hear someone like Elliot Smith and coming from my perspective, of course, it always sounds very unique. Mm -hmm. Listening to Elliot Smith is 
an experience because it sounds so different than anything that you would even describe as comparable. Mm -hmm. And so then it's cool to hear the underlying, <laughs> basically what you described as why that was so unique sounding to someone like you who's listening closely for something like that from a theory perspective yeah. or something along those lines. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, I, you know, I was, I, I wasn't really listening to music. I mean, I, I was listening to a lot of jazz in high school too, but it was, it was sort of just like a, like an aesthetic, like, and I often like wouldn't understand what was happening harmonically at that point. I mean, I maybe like could figure out some things, you know, but, but I was, it was very like fresh and new for me. But, it, but I think that there was a, a similar thing happening there where I could just like be like, oh, this is, this isn't just straight pop. There's something else here, you know. And then your last, my last pick, um, maybe not the you know the the most dramatic of final songs, but <laughs> but it's just a song that I saw in your collection and and I was like oh yeah I love this song, um, which is "Pretend You Love Me" by Sunny and the Sunsets. Great band, yeah. totally underrated mm -hmm. band, and I'm always happy to see that they continue to release music because I think they put out a new record not too oh, long really? ago. Oh, really? Yeah, I haven't kept yeah. tabs on that band. I think it was one of those things where I might have like, because I, 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 I believe they're like a Bay Area band. Yeah. And um, I have a lot of friends in the Bay Area and and they've shown me a bunch of music from there, like Tune Yards, um, Fantastic Negrito, um, I think like the first time I heard Modest Mouse was from those friends, although I don't know where Modest Mouse is from. But but and then like Sunny and the Sunsets was like a big part of that, like those friends yeah. in that scene. Um, but yeah, I just thought that that song and the lyrics and it's just like a really charming recording. Great picks, Dan. Thank you. Really, really excellent. Thank you. Great time chatting with Dan from Coco. Their brand new, amazing, self-titled debut album is out now. Got to check it out. It's available on all streaming platforms. Any plans for a physical release for the record? I hope so. I would definitely like to see that happen. Um, I, I think we'll we'll make it happen at some point. It's just uh, yeah, getting the uh, finances in order to to print some records or finding a partner to put it out with. Yeah. And the delays are crazy. Yeah, massive right now. The pressing right now. So yeah, down the line for sure. Looking forward to that. 
And everyone, of course, as we mentioned a little earlier, Coco is going to be playing two live dates before the end of the year. They're coming right up. November 12th out in Los Angeles at Zebulon and here in New York City, uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, Union Pool on November 16th. Very excited for those. Dan, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Love the record, and it was so awesome to dive into it in detail with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Before we go, we're going to play one more song from Coco's new record. We're going to hear the final track, Anybody's Guess. And again, you can get this record at cocowithlove.bandcamp.com. Then it's gone As the dawn begins to break I turn you on Give a hand Do your best Make it anybody's guess what comes As the dawn begins to break, I turn. 